were um, Peter and you're there on the beach and you're mucking around with your nets and this guy called Jesus says, come follow me. Who would have thought at that moment, who would have ever thought at that moment where you're there and you're pulling up your fishing net and you're cleaning it down and this guy walks past and says, come follow me, leave your net and follow Who would have thought at that moment? I wonder whether in his wildest dreams, Peter's wildest dreams, he ever imagined where his life would take him from that point on. You ever think about those things? I'm, my brain's wired a certain way until so I think about things fairly uh, beyond surface, I guess, and sometimes that's a blessing, sometimes it's a real pain because I lay awake at night thinking about these deep things going, God, to which there is probably no answer this side of heaven. But I lay there and think about them anyway because they just get ingrained in my psyche and I'm thinking about, God, I wonder what was going through Peter's mind at that time when he's cleaning that net and Jesus says, follow me, and he puts it down. I wonder if as he put the net down he went, oh, jeez, I, I, I know what the rest of my life is now going to look like. Or maybe he had absolutely no idea. <clears throat> I think he probably had no idea because, you know, later on down the track when, when, when Jesus is, is taken, he's going to be crucified, and he denies him you know, three times. I, 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 I guess that, that following, as he followed Jesus, so many things would have happened in his life that he would not have been prepared for. He would not have expected to see happen, you know. To, to, and I guess that's the beauty of following Christ. That's the beauty of this Christian life. It's, 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 on one hand, it's incredibly frightening because we just don't know what, what could happen or where we could end up or how it's going to pan out, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, it's incredibly exciting and thrilling too to wake up each day with that kind of thought. I wonder if, if you know, the disciples would wake up and, and, and they'd open their eyes and get the sleep out and there's Jesus standing on the edge of a hill just overlooking and the sun's coming up and maybe he's just standing there, you know, and they're all like, well, what should we do? Should we go over, tap him on the shoulder, take him a coffee, it's gone, what, what do you do? I mean, that is the son of God after all, you know. Um, what does he do in the morning? I don't know, he's standing there, he's chatting to his dad. And then Jesus just turned to them and looked at them and they were just, I can imagine them going, okay, we don't know what's going to come out of his mouth now because some of the things he said so far have been so wild, you know, what's going to happen now? And Jesus says, you know, grab your backpacks, guys. We're going to go that way because there's a village down there and these people need to hear about God. What an amazing kind of life following uh, Jesus is uh, when we actually buy into it. Amen? When we actually embrace that life. I, I'm just, by the way, flying off the top of my head at the moment here with some of that stuff. But uh, it does tie into what I want to share this morning. I was at a YWAM school, I think I told you this last week, a couple of weeks ago, and... Um, it was a really weird experience because I was there to, pre- to teach for four days and you teach for about three and a half hours, four hours a day. So it's a lot of teaching that you're doing. And at the end of the first day, I, I said to the school leaders, I actually feel like everything I'm supposed to say to these students has been said. And you've still got me here for another three days, but I feel like everything God wants to say has been said. And they agreed. They, they had that same sense. We really feel like that's right too. So let's just See what happens over the next three days. And over the next three days, it was a really wonderful time of ministry and people opening up their hearts to God and, and seeing things about God, about themselves, about the world around them and uh, you know, asking for prayer and confessing things. And, and uh, you know, there's one <coughs> young man there who who's, uh, uh, was, was driving a car one day with a mate of his and his mate was hanging off the, the four-wheel drive 
And he'd never talked about this, he'd never brought this out, but it was eating away at him and he stood before the class, about 60 international students, and he said, you know, um, I feel like God's saying to me, I need to bring this out, I need to talk about this. He says, uh, a few years back I was driving a car and, and I wasn't drunk or drinking or anything, but a mate of mine decided to hang off the side of the car as we went through the street in the United States, cut a long story short, fell off, hit his head, was in a coma and died. He said, I was charged with manslaughter. And uh, he said, I haven't been able to forgive myself. I haven't been able to allow God or to accept the fact that God can forgive me for what I've done and so on. And he had a breakthrough moment and just stood up in, in tears and just started to say, you know, I, I believe now that I can see. I was hearing on the first day the story of the prodigal son and how the father just embraced the boy when he came home. He didn't care about his excuses. He didn't want to say, come and earn your way back in. You can be a slave. He just embraced him and straight away slaps a ring and says, you're my son, you know, and I'm so excited that you're home. And so we don't have to crawl to God when we've made mistakes, big, small. Otherwise, we don't crawl back to God like we're undeserving. He looks at us and goes, you're my son. And, and he embraces us when we come back to him. And just to see this young man standing there with tears streaming down his face and going, I, I finally believe that, 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 that I, can, I can receive the forgiveness of God and I can also forgive myself. You know, Yeah, a couple of days earlier, he would have not have known. He had no idea that that's where Jesus was going to take him. If he followed Jesus, he had no idea that in two days' time, you're going to be incredibly set free of all this guilt and condemnation and stuff that you're carrying on the inside in two days' time. If you keep following me, if you keep pressing in, you keep listening to my voice and you go where I'm taking you, this is what's going to happen in a couple of days. Who knows what's going to happen in two days for you? Who knows what's going to happen in a week in your life if we just continue to walk with Jesus, amen? If we continue to follow him, if we continue to believe in faith and trust that he's leading us and guiding us and he's taking us to a really, really good place. During the course of that week, there were other stories and, 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 and uh, you know, I... I don't want to go into all of them, but so many stories of healing that came into people's lives. <laughs> and I got a card, which I didn't bring, but at the end of the week they wrote me a card and everybody writes in this card, the, the speaker, and, to see, and I was reading the comments and, and, you know, so much stuff that God... It wasn't me, just so much stuff that God was doing. People going, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I can finally forgive my father because I understand now that my father actually did the best with the knowledge that he had. He was imperfect and he hurt me, but I, 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 I can understand now and I can forgive him. And people standing up and, and forgiving their, 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 their parents for this, that and the other and going, look, I, I don't want to hang on to that, that anger anymore. I want to release it and let that person go and at the same time let myself be free. And one young man, he was even challenged by God and he did it. He, he wrote a, a text message on the Monday night to his father. And said to his dad, Dad, I just want to, want to, want to, want to, because he said I was brought up in a really good Christian home and my parents were really good, but he said my father wasn't brought up in a really good home. And he said, I know a bit of my dad's story and I know my dad is hanging on to anger and bitterness at his dad. So he felt God said, okay, what you're hearing might not be relevant to you at this particular juncture of your life, but I want you to write to your father and share it with your father, which he did. He wrote to his dad and he said, Dad, and he started teaching. You know, it says in, in uh, Timothy, I think, where, where Paul goes, the things that are entrusted to you entrust to other faithful people who will entrust to other people. And that's what he did. He took what God, what he got out of the word of God and he passed it on to his father. And his father got back to him and said, thank you so much for that. I needed to hear that. So now his father, back in the States, is on a bit of a journey with uh, his life and his walk with God too. And there's just something about following Jesus. There's something about following Jesus that is transformative. You know? Jesus is moving. It's like a stream, you know? I kind of feel like when we follow Christ, it's like jumping into a, a crystal clear stream that's just flowing. The, the water's flowing, and there's, there's stuff in there. There's life in it, you know? And religion is like jumping into a stagnant pool, you know? It's, it's going nowhere. 
It's going nowhere and there's moss growing in there and there's gunk growing in there and all this kind of stuff. And I don't think that, that God ever called us. He never called any of his disciples to follow religion. He called them to follow him. And in Mark chapter 10, there's a story, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, but I saw something the other week that I hadn't seen before that I just really wanted to, to share this morning. Very simple, nothing overly profound. It's very, very simple. And in Mark chapter 10, we've got the story of what we refer to as the rich young ruler. Now, we know he's rich... We know he's young, we know he's a religious ruler, we know that because this, this same story is in Matthew, uh, I think Matthew 19, Mark 10 and Luke 18, it's in all three of those gospel accounts. And what's amazing is there's so much uh, that, that's in common with this, this story. Now usually you read different stories and they come from different camera angles and you see different things and you can put a big picture together. Mark records it this way, Matthew records it this way and so on. This one has just about most of it is completely the same. It's completely the same, the story. But I saw a few things the other week when I was at this school that I'd never, ever seen before in this story. So I just want to share, uh, very briefly, uh, a couple of things from the story. And, and I'm going to read it out of Mark chapter 10. So Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, it says, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man actually came to Jesus. Jesus didn't go to this man. You know, there are lots of stories in the Bible where Jesus gives us the picture that Jesus deliberately went to that person, like the woman at the well. Yeah? The Bible says that Jesus had to go that way. And he ends up at this well outside of a Samaritan village. He didn't have to go that way, actually. If you have a look, normally they would cross uh, the Jordan River because they would steer clear. Jews would steer clear of Samaria, cross the Jordan, go up this way, cross back over once you got past it. But the Bible says, no, Jesus had to go that way. Why? Because he had to meet this woman. He had a, a divine appointment. There was something about that encounter with her that transformed not only her life, but the village. But in this situation, there's no indication anywhere that Jesus went looking for this man. This man came running up to Jesus. This rich, young, religious leader came running up to Jesus. This man with loads and loads of money, this man with prestige, this man with youth on his side, this man with authority in the religious system and structure and world, which put him on a pretty good peg, this man comes running up to Jesus and he says this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, Jesus... I've got money, I've got prestige and power, I've got authority, I'm young, I've got all these things going for me, but there's something missing. There's something missing. And so Jesus begins this conversation with him. Now keep in mind the simple fact that Jesus knows the beginning from the end, he knows people. So when Jesus begins this journey, uh, he's not stupid. He's not saying to this guy about the commandments going, oh, I'm just going to see if you've done it. Jesus knows already before he begins his discourse. In verse 18, he says, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, Only God is truly good. In verse 19, But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not false testify. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus says to him, Jesus actually points him to the law. <laughs> Interesting. Jesus points this guy to the law and says, Well, you know the commandments. And here's, here's, here's some of those commandments. Now, if you go back, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you look at the three stories, right? There are ten commandments that were given uh, in, in the book of Exodus that were given to Israel. Ten commandments. Now, Jesus, if you put these three stories together, Jesus throws six of them back at the young man. He throws six of the commandments back at the young man, right? Did you know he doesn't touch the first four commandments? You go back and have a look in Exodus, the first four commandments he doesn't touch. The last six commandments are all kind of horizontal. 
It's, it's, it's how you treat other people. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't, don't bear false witness. Don't murder. Honour your father and mother. The horizontal kind of commandments. Commandments that, let's, let's be real, if you do them well in the religious world, don't you? I mean, if you are that kind of a person, externally, you look really, really good. Because no one's going to look at you and go, well, you're an evil person because you honour your father and your mother. You're an evil person because you're not stealing. You're an evil person because you're so integrous you don't lie. You know, you, 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 you do everything right. He mentions that six commandments. The first four commandments are more vertical. The first four commandments, if you ever look at them, are more vertical. Um, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, so you shall have no other God before me. You shall not build an idol and bow down and worship something other than me. Honor the Sabbath because I'm the example of that. I worked for six days. So if you look at the commandments, you see these, the last six are kind of more vertical and, and, and they're the ones, I guess, that are, are kind of easy to do. And if you get away with them doing really well, you can look like you've got this really fantastic vertical relationship down pat. You can look like you're really doing well with God because you've got all these things on the surface that look really, really good. And so Jesus kind of sets him up. He says, you know all these commandments? And he goes, yep, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I've done every single one of them. But hear the cry of his heart. He's saying, I've done all those things. I've got all this stuff down pat, but I'm still coming to you, Jesus, because I'm still missing something. I'm still missing something. There's still something missing on the inside of me, there's still something not quite right in my life. Even though I've done this and done that, I'm ticking the boxes, all that stuff, all the, the horizontal sort of commandments, I'm keeping them all and I'm, I look really good. Not only do I look really good, I, I appear to have the blessing of God upon me too because I'm, I'm rich and wealthy and, and, and you, know, you know, that's a part of the Old, Old Testament is that God will bless you, you know, obey me and all these blessings, I'll bless you with finances and riches and so on. So on the surface, it looks really good. I'm a religious ruler, I'm a leader, I've, I've got some prestige in the church, so generally that must mean that I've, I've got some kind of good standing. Amongst, I mean, everything's looking really good. But Jesus, I'm coming to you because there's still something not right in my life. And I've got a feeling that perhaps you, good teacher, perhaps you can help me with that. And so Jesus points him straight to these commandments. And he goes, tick, 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 tick. Done all these things, got the T-shirt. Verse 21, Jesus, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I love that little phrase there. Matthew and, and Luke don't mention that. Only Mark puts that in there. That's why I love reading out of the, the Mark. It says he had genuine love for him, agape love, the God kind of love. He had genuine love for this man. And this is what he says to him. He says, there's still one thing you haven't done. One thing you haven't done. Now he's, not, now he's going away from the Ten Commandments to something a bit more kind of abstract. There's no commandment that says you have to do this. It's not there. And he says to the man this. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Watch this. Then come follow me. I was reading this the other day and I thought, I've never noticed that before. Go and sell everything you've got and then... Once you've done that, I want you to do something that you're not doing right now. Yes, you're obeying the commandments. Yes, you're honouring your mother and father and not still. Yes, you're doing all the, the, horizon, the, the sort of horizontal commandments. You're doing all that. But hey, guess what? You're not following me though. 
You're dotting the I's and crossing the religious T's, but man, the life I came to give is more than that. You're not following me. And there's a reason why you're not following me, because there's something in your life stopping you from following me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all those riches, that stuff, that you think you have, but the truth is it has you. I want you to take all that stuff because there's something in your relationship to that stuff that's stopping you following me. You're not free to follow me. So I want you to take it all, sell it, give it to the poor, get that thing out of your life, and then I want you to come follow me because right now you look good on the surface, you're doing all this stuff, but guess what? You're not following me. And Jesus came and he calls people to follow him, not just know about him. Not just to, to, to clean up your act and be a good moral citizen while you're down here on planet Earth. He says, no, I want people to follow me because I'm moving. I'm doing things. I'm going places. I want to bring healing into your world. But you know what? I'm, that's, your healing is over there and I want to take you over there. But if you're not following me, you don't come with me, you may never get there. I wonder how many people sitting in churches this morning... Just like this man. We're, we're, we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's, but deep down inside, we know. We know. I just feel like I'm not living the life that you have for me, God. I'm not experiencing everything that I really believe from the Word of God that you want to give to me. I'm not moving in the things that I think you want me to move into. I'm not walking into the future that you have for me, whether that future be a vocation, whether that future be a calling or whatever, whether that future be a place of healing and restoration and wholeness. I'm not in that place yet. I wonder whether there's something in the lives of those people that's stopping them from actually following him. See, this is what Jesus is saying here. This is the point he's trying to make. He's trying to say there's nothing wrong with riches, nothing wrong with wealth, nothing wrong with all that stuff. The problem with this man is that that stuff was standing in the way, stopping him from following Jesus. <laughs> you know, when I first became a Christian, and I felt like God called me to join Youth to the Mission and to begin this amazing journey that I'm still on, even though I'm not in well, I'm still on this amazing journey with God. You know what my first fear was? My first thought was, I can't, because my father is going to be here by himself. I'm not leaving my dad. I love my dad. And my dad's here in Ballina and he gave up and he ended up moving up to Ballina when I was 15 and, you know, 16, whatever. He ended up in town. He drove me back from Sydney one day. I went down there to visit him. Uh, when I was living up here with an uncle and auntie. I went down to visit my dad, talked him into driving me back to Ballina instead of putting me on the bus. And he said, yeah, okay. He drove me up to Ballina, uh, Hibiscus Gardens, Caribbean Park, just as you go into Ballina. He dropped me off in Riverview Avenue at my uncle and auntie's, drove down the street, decided to stay one night at Hibiscus Gardens and drive home and he never left Ballina from that day. It's never left. He's been here ever since. That's how he ended up up here by me saying, Dad, drive me home. I don't want to be on the bus. I want you to drive me home. 15, 16, I was 17, 16, something like that. And so he did. But you know what? When, when Jesus said to me, follow me, I want to take you up here to YWAM. I want to take you to this place. I initially said, no, I can't do that because I've got a relationship here with my dad and I'm concerned and I'm worried about him. And so I, I can't go with you where you want to take me because I've got this thing here that's stopping me from fully embracing where you want to take me. I've got this issue going on here. You know, for some of us, it might be a physical, tangible thing. God, I want to do what you're saying for me to do, but I've got a job here and I can't let it go. 
God, I want to, to, to uh, you know, go and have that relationship with my family, my, my, my parents, whatever, but I've got bitterness and anger or whatever it is back here. Whatever it is that's stopping us from following Jesus and going forward, that's what Jesus is trying to say to this man. It's not so much about money. It's not so much about that. It's about what's in your life right now that's stopping you from truly following me. What's in your world right now that if I was to come and try to take you somewhere, you would go, I can't go there because I've got this issue right here. Or I'm not prepared to go with you, Jesus, because I've got this life here or I've got this situation, this circumstance, this thing. Maybe it's a dream and a vision that you have for your own life and God's saying, but I've got this vision for your life and you're going, well, I'm not going there because I've always dreamt of this and that's what I want. And so Jesus is trying to walk. He's going somewhere and we're not going with him. We're not going with him because there's stuff in our life that's stopping us from following him. You see, the disciples understood exactly what Jesus was saying when Jesus said this. In verse 22, it says, At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had many possessions. Verse 23, Jesus looked around, said to his disciples, How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he goes on and he says, nah, look, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And watch Peter's response in verse 28. Then, after Jesus finished saying, With man this is impossible, with God all things are possible, he says, We've given up everything to what? To follow you. So Peter's listening to this whole thing, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all record the same response from the disciples afterwards. They all say, we've given up everything to follow you. The emphasis is not the gold, the glitz. The, the emphasis is the point that Jesus is making is, you're not following me. You're empty inside, you're frustrated. You're coming to me saying, God, there's got to be more. I'm doing all these things, and Jesus is going, there is more. I didn't call you to obey a bunch of commandments. I called you to follow me. And until you start following me, you'll always have that empty, restless thing on the inside because you're not living daily in a walk with me, in intimacy, in a relationship with me, going where I'm taking you. Did you know the law was God's plan B? The law was God's plan B. God's plan A was relationship in a garden, walking with Adam and Eve. That was plan A. When God created the world, on the seventh day he rested. Some people think on the seventh day he wrote a book. And then he threw it down to earth and said, right, you've got my manual now, just read that and you'll be right. And then went about and did the rest of his stuff. God didn't give them a book. God gave them himself in personal, intimate relationship. He came down daily to be with them. If they had questions, he didn't say, well, here's a manual, just go and have a relationship with the manual. He said, no, I'm going to come down and I'll walk with you in the cool of the garden and we'll talk. Now, praise God for the word of God. I'm not speaking against the word of God. What I'm saying, though, is that God wants more than just people who can quote scriptures and read a book. God wants people who walk daily in intimacy with him, listening to him, being led by his spirit. Paul said those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. God wants sons and daughters. He wants people who are in that intimate relationship with him, who are walking with him, journeying with him through life, through the mountaintops and through the valleys, connected with God, listening to God. Bringing him into the situations, going, Father, where are you going? Because I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Because God is a good God. We sang about it this morning. You're a good, good Father. He's not taking me to places that are going to damage me and hurt me and destroy me. He's trying to take me to places of healing, taking me to a place of wholeness, taking me to a place of fulfillment. He's taking me to a good place. But am I following him or am I standing still? Am I following God or am I just trying to tick all the religious boxes? Or am I going after him? Uh, Peter says, you know what? We've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, you know what? 
He says, you think you've given up a lot, but you haven't. Because I'm going to give back to you way, way more in this life and the next than what you could ever possibly give up or get over or move on from for my sake. He says, I'll give back to you so much more, it's just not funny. But how many of us are staying back in a place where we're not moving forward with God because of bitterness or because of anger or because of things that are going on? There's a couple of times, I went through the Bible and I had a really quick look, I just jotted some notes down here, about a few times where uh, Jesus actually tells people to come and to follow him. In Matthew 4.19, Matthew 4.19, we see the calling of the uh, first disciples. And the Bible says that these guys are actually sitting down and, there, and in verse 18, Matthew 4, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing nets into the water for they were fishing, before they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me and I'll show you how to fish properly for men. He called them to come follow him. What was he calling them to do? You know what? Some people are so caught up in their vocation. We're so caught up in what we're doing to make a living. I'm not saying throw your job in and follow Jesus, but that's what Jesus said to these guys. That's what he was saying to them. Saying, the direction you've been heading in your life, that's not what I have for you. I want to take you over here. I want to take you over this direction. For some people, their vocation, their job, their lifestyle won't allow them to follow Jesus. Because where he wants to take them, that's not a part of it. I'm not saying for everybody, but I'm saying this is what the disciples were challenged with when he first came to them and said, follow me. They sat there and looked at their nets and went, what do we do? This is how we make a living. Jesus didn't grab every fisherman. They weren't the only fishermen sitting on the shore of the Lake of Galilee there cleaning their nets on the day. They weren't the only ones. But some of them, he came and said, the plan for you is you need to let this go and go in this direction. And God calls some people to let go of where they think their whole life's heading and says, I've got something better for you over here. And we've got to make a decision. What do we do? Do we let go of the net and do we get up and follow after him into an unknown future? Or is that net a little bit like the riches for this man? And we go, I can't follow you because I've got this situation here. I'm not prepared to lay this down at the foot of the cross, even though you're calling me over here. doesn't mean he is. I'm not saying he's calling everyone to do that. I'm saying this is what happened to these original disciples. These particular group of people, Peter and Andrew, they were called to let go of that and move on. And maybe there are people sitting in churches all around the world at the moment who are in that situation where God's going, you know what, you've gone to university and you've become a chemical engineer and now you're working for the CSIRO or whatever, but you know what, I've been saying to you for years, I want you over here because I want to send you to Calcutta to work with the poor. You won't do it. Or maybe you've been going down this path and you're doing this and God's saying, but I want you to pastor a church. I've called you to be a minister. Or I've called you to work for World Vision. You know? Or maybe you're doing this and you're at university and you're heading down here to be a civil engineer, but I've called you to teach. So I want to put you in a primary school to teach young kids and be a really positive influence in the lives of young kids. You know? Maybe. Not everybody. But I wonder whether there are some people sitting in churches this morning and we can't let that go. So therefore, it's really hard to follow Jesus down the path that he wants you to go down. In Matthew 8, a few pages over, verse 22, Jesus is walking along and it's, he has a few encounters with different people. Verse 19, one guy, teacher of religious law, says to, to his teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Verse 21, another of his disciples said, Lord, let me first return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now, let the dead bury their own dead. He wasn't being cruel and harsh. He wasn't being cruel and harsh. He's just talking about, this is 
what it's like following me. And maybe there are some people, and we've got emotional things going on in the world, bitterness that we just choose, we refuse to let go of because we're justified in how we feel. That person has done the wrong thing. And so I'm stuck here at this place, and I will not let it go. Even though Jesus is moving on, saying, no, you've got to let it go, and let's move on. You can't come with me because you won't let it go. A little bit like I experienced uh, a couple of weeks ago on the DTS, all this stuff, the amount of, of anger and bitterness and hatred and stuff that these young kids had been hanging on to, some of them for years. One young girl stood there and just started bawling on the very last day as I was about to leave. because of, she, she said, I hate my father. I've hated him my whole life. Not because of what he did to me, but because of what he did to my mother and the way he treated my brothers as we grew up. He said, she said, I hate my father. I hate him. And I can imagine that, that you know, Jesus is trying to lead her onto a place of healing and wholeness all her life. I don't think he would have been sitting there going, that's all sweet. And when we don't follow him down this path, because he has such glorious love for us, he goes, rightio, I'll try another angle. Because I'm so committed to bringing healing into your life. I'm so committed to, to helping you get over these issues. And so, on, so that you can get the emotional stuff out of the way and come follow me. Because I've got such a wonderful, wonderful life for you. Yet we can get caught up with emotional things, hurts, disappointments, frustrations, you know, expectations where we feel we've been let down and we camp in that place and we never truly go. And we wonder why there's that sense inside of us that I'm just not feeling really fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm, I'm really connecting with God. I don't feel like this is everything he has for me. And he's over there going, I'm, I'm moving and I'm asking you to follow me. And this thing's dragging behind you like a chain and you have the authority and the power to call me to come and say, let's cut this thing off and let's move forward. But you won't because you're carrying it around with you. You're hanging on to it. Maybe it's emotional stuff for some people. John chapter 12, verse 26. I didn't give Luke any of these scriptures. Uh, John 12, 26. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must what? Follow me. It's funny. The, the words that Jesus uses, the language that he uses to communicate what it, what it means to come after him, he never ever says to anyone, if you want to come after me, just stand behind me. He never gives this indication that he's stagnant, standing, still doing nothing. He's always moving. Even when he left and he gets his disciples together in Matthew 28 and he gives them instruction about what to do from now, and what does he say? Go. It's a word of movement. It's a word of activity. Go into all the world. It's not this stagnant thing. You know, I love Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. And probably not doesn't say the same thing in New, King James, in, in the New Living, but the New King James, where I memorized it from, it says, uh, you know, the former account I made of... Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, who also wrote the book of Luke, is writing to a man called Theophilus. He's going, I've given you this book called Luke that we've got in our Bible. He says, I've given you that. He says, that's the former account of what Jesus began to do. In other words, this next volume I'm giving you, which we call the book of Acts, this is what Jesus continued to do. He's still doing things. He's still moving. He's not stagnant. He didn't finish. He didn't use the book and go, wipe his brow and go, right, I'm finished with planet Earth and humans. There's the Bible. Finally, I've got it all together. Someone listen to me. We piled this. Great, now I can move on to other things. He's moving. And he wants people to follow him. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am. And the Father 
will honour anyone who serves me. I want my children to be where I am. Where is Jesus right now in your life? Where is he in your life? Where is he in your world? Where is he in the circumstances and situations you're facing? Is he over there and you're still standing up here? Why are you still standing here? What is it that's keeping you here? What is it that's stopping us from following Jesus? Because Jesus wants people, he wants his children to follow him. Not just obey a bunch of rules. You know, the older I get, the older I get, I'm becoming more and more relaxed with my imperfections. I'm not saying that I'm happy with them or that I'm just going, well, I'm always going to be like this and move on. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I'm caring less and less about dotting I's and crossing T's. I'm caring more and more about intimacy with God. I'm caring more and more about being in that place where he wants me to be. Instead of going back to the I's and the T's and go, well, I can't be there, Jesus. Because you know, I just want to move with God. I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to be moving those things out of my life that are stopping me from following him. And I, I don't think I'm smart enough to work out what they are. But I think he is. I think he knows what those things are. Christy, do you want to just jump up on the keys for me for a second? I'm just about to finish up. Got out of bed early this morning and just scribbled down thoughts and things. And You know what? I think that God works best through me when I just scribble thoughts and things. If I overthink it too much, it, it's not so good. See, I'm getting comfortable with that, you know? Some would call it an imperfection. I just think it's the way God works with me. A handful of years back, a handful of years back, I went to the Solomon Islands. And I used to take teams of young people into the island. First of all, it started with YWAM. I used to take outreach teams there. Then when I joined a church, I uh, started working for the church in Balna as an associate pastor I started some missions programs for the church and we India and Solomon Islands we had two locations and I remember I used to go to Solomon's I used to take the, a lot of the young people um, I think it was Jordan was it you that fell out the back of the car one time yeah so <laughs> sitting in the back of the ute and the ute took off next thing I turned around where's Jordan <laughs> he was out most of my I think most of my kids I got to take over there uh, this is probably before Chloe was born and I remember going to this swimming hole once and you walked along this road, because no, we went to the island of Malaita, and we were at this Bible college run by a PNG pastor, the top of the hill, right at the top of the hill. We walk along this road, and then when you get to a certain point in this little dirt road, you turn, and there's just bush. And you just trudge through these bush tracks, and you're just going for miles down. When you get to the bottom of the hill, beautiful water holes and little, um, what do you call them? Um, waterfalls, waterfalls. Yeah, I'm doing this one. Just getting cool. There's all the young people to see me. <laughs> so, so I'm at the bottom here and there's this pool. And we start jumping in this pool and swimming. And next thing, this islander kid goes missing. Just goes missing. Jumps in the water and doesn't come up. And I'm kind of getting panicked about this. And the guys are going, no, it's good. Well, this, this kid can hold his, hold his breath for like five minutes. And I'm thinking, dude, I hope you're right. He doesn't hit his head on a rock or something. You know? But no one else is panicking, but I'm... Yeah, about five minutes later, this kid comes up, and I'm thinking, that is amazing. 
That is amazing. You know? Then another kid goes, oh, I can do that too. Then another kid, and after a while I thought, hang on, something's going on here. You can't all hold your breath for five to ten minutes. Come on. So eventually they gave the game up to me. And they said, you see where the, this big rock formation here where the water's coming down? I said, if you go under it and you swim a certain way into it, there's a big cave and you can come up into this pocket of air. And they said to me, do you want to go? And I thought, nah. <laughs> because the pocket of air is only about this big. Everything else is rock. And if I go to come up and it, you know, my first thought was, who was the brainiac who found this in the first place? You know? But someone found it. And I said, no way. And then this boy said to me, no, no, come with, come, I'll go with you. And he said, I'll swim and you, you grab a hold of my, uh, I think it was his leg or his arm. And he said, you come with me and I'll take you in and I'll bring you up. I wrestled with it. I was so afraid. I was so scared thinking, man, if I panic, you'll come up and bump my head, knock myself out, or what if I can't hold my breath that long? Because I don't even know how far in this thing is, you know, like, no way. In the end, I thought, the curiosity got the better of me. I thought, I'm going to do this. I've got to do this. So this kid goes, oh, yeah, let's go. One, two, three. We held our breath. He put his hand out. I think it was. I grabbed his arm. We both went under. Next thing, I'm dragged, and everything kind of goes black. I mean, this rock. Sunlight's gone. And I can hear underwater just at the waterfall, you know. We go along for a little bit and then all of a sudden he pops up and drags me to him and bang and up I pop. I popped up so quick, my head on the thing at the top anyway because it was only like about that high. And here I am in this beautiful little caved area just there. It was so incredibly otherworldly, you know? There's, there's, There's people on the rock above jumping off and jumping into the water but I'm oblivious to them. I'm under here in this beautiful space and uh, you know there's, there's, there's the light coming through in here and I'm in here and there's a little islander kid a little shelf there was already a little islander kid waiting for us and he's sitting up on the shelf it's kind of surreal environment you know but I'll tell you what the fear the fear that I had to hold this guy's hand and trust him enough to take me into this little pocket of air cave I was so scared And you know what, I think a lot of people are like that with God. I think sometimes it's easy just to have that, let's just focus on that that, that vertical stuff. We'll just obey all those commands and we'll be good people and we'll do all that stuff and we'll be Christian and we'll love God and, 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 and just be safe. But when we think of following him, when we think that he might be moving, when we think that he might be wanting to take us somewhere, it's frightening. It's scary. Because we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know what that place is. You know, he doesn't give us a roadmap all the time. He doesn't tell us. He, he says stupid things to us like, do you trust me? You know? I mean, how stupid. <laughs> of course I trust you. I'm a Christian. No, no, no. I know you're a Christian. But do you trust me? Will you follow me? When I put my finger on that area and say, it's time to deal with it, will you follow me towards healing? When I tell you what I want you to do with your life or what I want to do through you, will you take the steps and will you follow me into that place? Will you put your hand up and will you grab a hold of that opportunity that I'm giving to you? You know, young kids, you know, young kid, 
when you think about your future? Got it all worked out or do you trust Jesus enough to go, where do you want to go? What do you want? I'll follow you. You know? Let's all just stand up. I just want to pray for us this morning. I'm glad that kind of worked out because I must admit, I wasn't 100% sure I knew where I was going. <laughs> but you know, I find that usually they're the best. Again, that's the journey of following God, isn't it? We take that first step and we don't always know where the next step's going to be. But what I do know is this, God is good and the next step's going to take me towards wholeness and healing. And the third step and the fourth step, they're always taking me down a good path. That's what Jesus has for us. He is a good God and he loves us and he wants to take us to good places. We want to be followers of Jesus, not just religious observers. We want to follow Jesus because he's moving and he's active. He's alive. Father, I want to thank you for this word this morning, God. I, I, I thank you for the challenge uh, that is in it to all of us, God, myself included, that, Father, you are wanting us to follow you. And that means you're going somewhere. That means you're heading in a direction. And I pray for each person that's here this morning that you would speak to us about our own particular situations and circumstances, our own life. And Father, show us if there are areas in our world, God, vocational, uh, emotional, God, physical barriers, things that are stopping us from completely following after you, Lord. God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray you would reveal those things to us, Holy Spirit. I pray you would open our eyes to see those things. And that, Lord, you would graciously take us by the hand and show us the way forward. God, we want to be with you, Lord. Jesus, you said that, uh, God, you've called us to follow you and that where you are, so will your children be. And that's our heart's desire this morning, God. So, Father, I just pray for each of us here, Lord, as the week unfolds, Lord. Speak to us, lead us, guide us, God. We want to be the people you want us to be and we want to be in the place that you want us to be, God, not just physically, but even emotionally, mentally, spiritually. God, we want to be in that place where Jesus is right now, where the Holy Spirit is giving life to us and growth and the presence of the Lord is gone. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless them. Lord, we pray for Daniel and Ruth as well. God, we pray for a great time on their holidays. Lord, we pray you'd protect them, God. You'd watch over them. Lord, we ask that you keep them safe. God, we, we look forward to uh, hearing their stories when they come back. God, I pray that it would be an abundantly blessed and fun time, God, above anything they could possibly ask or think, Lord, that they would come back and say, we thought it was going to be this, but it was so much more because Jesus was already waiting for them there and he's, he's, he's taken them into some great and awesome places and things and experiences, Lord. So thank you for the opportunity they have. Bless them, be with them as they travel, keep them safe and bring them back to us, Father, we pray. Amen.